This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here in a studio with uh, Assembly Member Kevin Cross from Eagle River. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing magnificently. Happy to be here, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, so you were here, I guess, in the studio about a year ago, um, a little more than a year ago, doing your deba- assembly debate. That's correct. So you won in 2022, and I think you uh, you took the Jamie Allard's. No, no, that was that, yeah, that was you took the Jamie Allard seat, right? No, I took the Crystal. Oh, Kennedy I'm sorry, seat. Kennedy. Yeah, so yeah, Myers took right. the Jamie Allard seat. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I ran is because Crystal. Kennedy. A closer to the mic, there, partner. Here because Crystal was uh, leaving. Okay, so you've been on for. Uh, a little over a year now, so yeah, April twenty months, like something like that. This, this is your first term, and and right now you've this housing ordinance. That's what I want to talk about. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but we'll talk about kind of the housing thing that's been kind of in the news here the last few weeks. Yeah. Um. But I guess you know, let's talk about your first you know over a year on the assembly. Now, this last election, there was like I think five new people out of twelve. So the assembly, and then Voland won that special um, that new seat. So the assembly's quite different than when you first started on the assembly over a year ago. Yeah, it's completely different. And, uh, you know, that, that can be refreshing. It can also be frustrating because, you know, you, every time you have a change of multiple seats, you lose a lot of, uh, historical knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, most legislation can take, uh, you know, uh, months if years to process. And so when people leave and new people enter, there's a catching up to do. And the analogy I use is like carrying a football down the field and, most of the time, the people who started running the ball aren't necessarily the ones who take it in for a touchdown, and they hopefully they're not running. They, they keep running in the same direction. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing in Juneau. This last election, but even the one before, you know, you had a big turnover in the, the House, um, and it's just you get some people who have never even been to Juneau. And yeah. you have institutional, you know, people that have been there for a while, but then, you know, it's like it takes a lot of people to run the legislature, so it starts to almost like, you know, kind of start from scratch in a lot of ways. And everything is extremely complicated. I mean, it's easy to do a drive-by of looking at something and looking at legislation, but until you go and you examine the work sessions and you see what went into it, that's one of the, I would admit, one of the misperceptions I had is when you go back and you look at stuff and you see how we got to where we were over mm-hmm. months, years, if not decades, it's like, okay, it's a, it's a, I mean, I think, I, th- unwind. I think in the legislature, it's maybe a little clearer that, you know, there's obviously like the floor sessions yeah. three times a week, but then there's the committees and there's like every day there's like five or 10 or whatever committee meetings. I think it's a little for the people who don't really pay close attention to the assembly. They see the meeting every two weeks, so, but then there's a work set. Like yesterday, there was a work session with uh, Wendy Chamberlain, the one of the, lo- the lobbyists, and there was another working session for housing. But <clears throat> I think the public's not maybe as in tune to these work sessions. But the, but these are a lot more than the assembly meetings. You know, and that's you're exactly right. And not only just the work sessions, but what, then what's happening between like three individuals that are either sponsoring stuff, and there's going to be arguments behind the scenes on uh, even on an uh, on an ordinance that's being drafted or being worked on before it even becomes to a work session. Mm-hmm. Not all three sponsors are in alignment on what's going on, but you're still having meaningful conversations trying to push something through, and you know, and and ultimately 
you know, my, my position on all this is I've been trying to like, I can either complain about what's, uh, what's on the menu or I can get in the kitchen. So you decided to, I mean, I know you, you're working real estate. Yep. Um, was that your like main motivation? I know there was yeah, a lot of housing, homelessness or those, all these different issues going it on. Is, so listen, you know, I'm born and raised, uh, here in Anchorage and, um, you know, I, and, and I've been in real estate most of my life, even when I was a pipe fitter and when I was doing stuff, I was involved in real estate to some point before I became into it full time. And I, I think housing is the foundation. Well, first off, I believe that proper private property rights is the foundation of our country. You know, George Washington said that, and our founding fathers were very clear that private property ownership and freedom were inseparable. And that if you don't own your own property, if you can't say this is my home and this is my land, then somebody owns you. Mm-hmm. And if you're a tenant, I mean, at least you have housing, but it means that somebody is in control of your life. And if you're well, not a one year, you're not a one year lease, you're 30, you could be 30 days from being homeless. Well, and I, you know, I moved here in 04 when I was 19. So when I grew up in New Mexico, I went to college for a year and the, um, I lived in the dorms and university of New Mexico. Then I moved here with a buddy. We, you know, struggled. It was summer Oh four. It was summer. So it was like hard to find it. We find finally the rents were so crazy. We were like, Oh my God, we're, you know, this is before like Craigslist, all these things. So we're like, what the hell we're going on the newspaper. Finally found a place. We got lucky on the, you know, like a telephone pole, found a little two bedroom for rent. This lady was a teacher lived in, in the bush. She had a guy. Anyways, we lived there for a while. And then I lived in other places so from 04 to when I bought my place in 2012, I was in that situation where I had a place, you know, I was in an apartment or a condo, but you're always like, man, what if something, you know, what if they decide to sell it? Or what if, you know, you, you don't have that security? What if they just decide to remodel the unit so they can get more rent 30 mm-hmm. days notice and you're out? So, you know. We actually had that one of our, con- I was living in a condo. We were there for a year and then we were once a month. And then they said, we want to extend. And by the way, the, that's going up. Yep. So, you know, fine. That's kind of how it goes. But, um. Ever since I bought my condo 10 years ago, you know, 2012, November, and uh, it's not a great big condo or anything, but it's like, it's mine, you know? Yeah. So we have a dangerous situation creating right now and that vacancies being as low as they are, there's no incentive for landlords to maintain their properties. That's true. Yeah. You yeah know, I mean, I mean listen, if I can just open up a door and spray some Febreze and increase the rent a hundred bucks and know that I have 17 applicants, where's my I have incentive? some friends who are, yeah. you know, landlords, they have properties and, you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit, the kind of the housing problem, but... Um, a, a unit they'd put up, you know, five years ago that would get five or t- six or 10 people. Now they're having 25, 30 people. Yeah. It's, uh, you, know? you know, now, now renters are doing open houses where instead of showing it, they just show up for two or three hours, one day a week, a flood of people come through, they sort through the applicants. If you don't show up too bad and they rent it out to the highest bidder. And, 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 and this is the, you know, the, the problem with the housing pro- you know, issue is we have this Willow project which is going to bring jobs. You Two, have 2000 plus poten- potentially. I mean, this is like not maybe the most likely thing, but it's possible. The gas line. I mean, any project, anything we could, could, you know, put online here in the state, there's nowhere to live the Valley. I and mean, people, people are going, I think something like, is it like half the construction that last year or more was in the Matsu Valley in the state? Well, and that's why they were able to lower their mill rate 19% in the last three years. They're the only place where property taxes are going down. I mean, I like live, I live in Anchorage. It's my home. I'm not, you know, but I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I have like, I have a lot of friends who live in the Valley. It's like crossed my mind, you know, it's crossed because well, you I go mean, out there and the, you get more bang for your buck. You know, the, the Wasilla Palmer, there, there's plenty to, there's plenty of things to do there. You know, I met, I met with a building official at a property one day uh, here in Anchorage trying to deal with something. And I was complaining about how convoluted it was. And the building official said, that's why I live in Wasilla. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Je- my buddy, Jesse Sumner, you probably know him, right? He's in the yeah. legislature. He's a builder and 
uh, Rob Yunt as well. He's on the assemb- yep, borough assembly, but guy. He, you know, they were telling me during like COVID they would, you know, they would kind of joke at the beginnings of their meetings. They would thank Anchorage for sending all the people to the restaurant. And then some of those people ended up moving there. there you go. So what do we do about it? That ultimately comes down is, and, and so it's the assembly's job to craft ordinances and try to work on it. Right. And so, and I've been getting a lot of flack, obviously, for 2023-66 and the way I'm handling that. And So, so this is a you and Meg, right? The zoning. You, the, Meg and Dan Voland. The yeah. zoning, the kind of reshaping the zoning. And, yeah. and I got to say, I think you've probably taken a, you've taken a little taste of, the, you know, when you ran, they, you know, you were the conservative guy in the race and everybody kind of like loved still you. But am. Now, now there's one, you still, you're very conservative. But this one thing now, like uh, Percaro, I heard, and, and then you got the Suzanne Downing. They're really like going after you. I mean, they're well, I mean, uh, insinuating that you're like out to make money and you're trying to like get rid enrich yourself and really kind of mean things. So I have a challenge, and that's why I'm constantly going to the Board of Ethics. And that I own. Listen, being born and raised here and being an entrepreneur, wanting to be independent, not wanting government handouts. I've built multiple businesses, and that creates a difficulty because I want to help our community. But at the same time, if you own real estate. You know, we do real estate law. I own, I own uh, other small businesses, and so business taxes affect that. I own, you know, I own a house, so lowering property taxes benefits. I mean, that's why I'm constantly. And if you listen to the work session, saying this is what I'm doing, this is what it mm-hmm. is. I need. I well, want you guys you, to chime in. I've heard you say that, and I mean, you when you ran, it's like everybody knows anything about your your realtor. It's not like a secret. You know, well, it's not, not like you're a hiding realtor, it. I'm a landlord. I'm a business owner. I've employed hundreds of people. I mean, so. You know, that's difficult because at one point, but, you know, but it's also, I would think that was valuable information. Well, the, the other question. A unique perspective because I, I haven't served on a board of nonprofit and, and just try to, I haven't done that. I mean, I've served on boards and commissions and voluntary position. I served on the platting board for five years and that gave me intimate knowledge of Title 21. So, you know, I, my perception was that those, those uh, skills and that education that I brought would be a benefit, but at the same time, you know, you get attacked for it because you see it as a conflict. It's like, hey, wait a second. Well, and the, and the irony is you have, you know, the conservative side, they're always, and, they're, and rightfully so, talking about, you know, we, we want people that are have business experience, that are in business, that know business. I mean, they always say, and it's true, you do want that. And the flip side of it is if, if you have people that have no, you know, but don't own any businesses, have never done anything, have just had a job, you know, you well, don't want all those people running the show because you want people who have that knowledge and that experience of dealing with the government, dealing with the system, employing people. You want that. So the and, and the general public has an absolute right to be concerned to make sure that their political officials are not just uh, self-serving monsters, right? And so and they see that with Pelosi and they see that with different things in the way, you know, our, our senators and congressmen and, you know, kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies. I understand that. It's a little different than somebody who, and, and I guess my perspective is, there is a specific interest, which is I'm directing money directly towards this project. I am looking for a tax reduction for that lot or that property that I own versus I'm looking to reduce red tape for everybody. And when it benefits everybody, me mm-hmm. as a member of the community also benefit. That's, that's a general interest versus a specific conflict of interest. And if you read the code of ethics, there's a big difference. There's nothing wrong with me with kids in school wanting better education. Yeah, no, I mean, if you were out there trying to dispose of some land for development, I mean, obviously we would all say, what the hell, you know, if I was bidding, if I was bidding on a lot for heritage land bank, and I was also voting on the disposal on the assembly mm -hmm. for a lot. Now that's a very, that's a huge conflict of interest. So, So let's go into kind of what you're so this, I mean, I've been following this for a long time. I'm no, by no means an expert, but there's this Title 21 thing. And I remember this was like him like 10 years ago or more. And it's basically kind of part of it's like how city should look and, yeah. you know, beautification and standards and all the, but it's like very, 
and others, other states have done this. It's been like a national thing and, you know, it's very, but it's very complicated, right? There's all these different la- layers of zoning of multifamily, single family, commercial, right? There is. And we are, and, and by the way, we are some of the most complicated in the United States without question. Um, Why is that? I mean, we're so new compared to other cities. Well, we, and- we, we brought in a lot of code from what we did is when we were drafting our Title 21 and our Title 20 rewrite, because we haven't done it and we knew, we basically had taken models from other places and said, hey, let's apply this. And we layered on a bunch of bureaucracy unintentionally, not realizing how complicated it would make it. So zoning, you know, first there's land use and under all is the land, right? And even on our Title 21, uh, excuse me, on our uh, 2040 land use plan, there's five different categories of just residential. I mean, subcategories of residential. On top of that are about 15 different residential zoning districts. And on top of that, you have covenants and restrictions. And on top of that, you have state restrictions and state laws. And then like I'm on my condo board, board, for example, River Park. So we have, even have HOA. We, we have our yep. HOA rules. And then above that, we have this, you know, whatever city, you, you, know, you know, rules. But so in Anchorage, you know, so Anchorage is divided into three different areas. You got Anchorage, but then uh, Chuyak Eagles River is underneath chi- Title 10 and Girdwood's under Title 9. So we each have three different land use categories. And so, you know, even on this bill, what's really important to realize is that in the process of this, because it hasn't passed and it's still in what I call a sausage making process, is that Eagle River and Girdwood are getting carved out because we have our own different land situations. And so, well, I want to come right out of the gate saying that, again, if you go back to how do you get good legislation passed is that you have to be in the kitchen when it's cooked. When Meg came saying she wanted to do a zoning rewrite, I co-sponsored because under the open meetings act, only three people can be involved. And if you want something that protects or defends or respects your values or your district, then be part of the conversation. You know, the legislature exempted themselves from that. And I kind of feel like, I feel like the assembly, should, I don't, I, don't I, I think it's in some ways good, maybe for boards and commissions, but I also think, feel like sometimes you need to be able to get in the room you and do, do do it without being in the public where everybody's watching. I mean, sometimes you can say things like, you know, the legislature, they have their caucuses, they can air out the grievances behind closed doors. And I see the other side of that too. You know, I see the, you know, secrecy part, but I just feel like a lot more maybe might, might get done if you could all get in the room and not have to worry about, you know, the cameras being on everybody watching and like what you say could be turned into some political, you know, no, soundbite. I, I see it both ways. But that means that, but I'm operating underneath the Open Meetings Act, which means that if you want, you can't complain about what's coming out of the kitchen if you're not in there helping cook it. So mm-hmm. I've so, always- So you and Meg, three people, so you and Meg and Dan, you guys can get together and- we and, have three different and, perspectives. And talk about these things. And we have three very different perspectives. And if I, you know, if I could share with you the email chains that are going on, we all see how this is going to work out differently. And we're all positioning on how this gets crafted. And that's why there's been one amendment, but there's another amendments coming, you know, and so I think it's real important for the public to say, hey, let's take a deep breath because we don't know what the final product is going to look like till it comes up. Why, why do you think, I mean, John Weddleton, former assembly member, he's very outspoken against this. What, what, what do you think his reasons are? I mean, he's been calling the radio and I've I seen think, him do I Facebook posts. Wants the, I think he wants, we all want the same thing. Listen, we all agree that Title 21 is really convoluted and that needs to be streamlined. And I can give you some specific examples that would blow your mind, right? And then when people look at that, they scratch their head and go, you're absolutely like, that doesn't make any sense at all. So, um, and, and I respect John's opinion. I think he has a lot. I think he's a very intelligent man. He has a lot to offer. Um, you know, what we're doing is obviously a much more accelerated route. And I think it, I mean, you know, I believe it can be done. But I also, I also respect the opinions that, hey, listen, this is too much and this is too fast, which is in the, on the sideway, I'm looking at another way, which is just a bunch of omnibuses and how fastly can we 
segregate out Title 21 in different areas. And we start with uh, off-site improvements, and then we go into setbacks and restrictions. And so, you know, at the same time, I'm looking at, can I make 2023-66 work? Can we carve out and make sure that Chuyak Eagle River have their own separate process? Because under, uh, you know, under uh, Title 21, they do. They do have their own land use provisions, and they, mm-hmm. they should have that autonomy from Anchorage. So as we're, as we're working through this, if it doesn't work, you know, you can go back to my voting record. I will, like, if, I, if, if you amend something on the floor and I don't like it, boom, that's it. I, I will just change my mind and say, no, I can't sponsor this anymore. So it's important to realize that even though I co-sponsor, there are very specific things I think are important to this legislation. Oh, there's been, and I mean, I follow the Juno stuff a lot closer. You know, there's been times where people have voted against their own bill, you know, because oh, it, gets, it, gets, it gets so changed. Oh, yeah. By the time it comes back, they're I like, wait a minute, this is, I don't, this is not what I want, wanted. And so, and, and I think that's, and I really appreciate you pointing that out because I've done that before. And, you know, and so that's, and, and I want to have those communications, you know. Um, I know that uh, Suzanne Downey has come out with some pretty scathing stuff against me, but, you know, I've left her like six or seven messages. She's never called me. Oh, she doesn't give a shit, man. When she has, when she decides something, <laughs> well, you know, that's it. Like she turns on people. Well, and- she hasn't responded to me. And I'm like, hey, you got some misinformation here. And let me explain something to you why that's inaccurate. Because, you know, I've, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, 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 it's very important to me in this legislation that Chugiak Eagle River, at least my district, that everything happens through our advisory board. And we, listen, they should have the say. Well, what they've so, been putting out, and it was on Percaro yesterday, is there's some audio they call the smoking gun. And it's you talking to it. It sounds like a bunch of realtors. It is. so. And I, somebody I, must have recorded it, I guess. Or, which is fine. Every, listen, the public's always open. So I'm probably the most outspoken in the front real estate professional, I mean, or, or assembly person that they've had out there. And so... Um, in some time. So, you know, for 16 years, Jeff, I've been teaching real estate investment and real estate classes. Since you were 15, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm an old man. I'm much older. I like to think I'm, I'm older than I look. But, um, you know, and so at least once a month, I've taught at real estate brokerages. I've taught all over the country, Colorado, Georgia, um, Tennessee. Uh, anyway, so I've got 16 years of teaching real estate. So occasionally brokerages will reach out to me and say, hey, listen, Come speak to our licensees about what's going on. What do these code changes mean? What is on the housing? Like what's on their board? And if they get what they want, what is that? Like if you get your priorities done, what does that mean to the real estate industry? And I inform and educate real estate professionals so that they can provide market studies on, hey, is this good or bad impact? What do you think about this? And then they can feed back to me and go, hey, here's what we like or don't like about your priorities. And obviously I have really strong opinions about what I think is will be beneficial, but I'm also open to communication. If, ask anybody who calls me. I'm, I, I try to return almost every phone call that comes in. Um, I mean, I love, I love conversation. I also love, um, you know, um, opposing points of view so I can interrogate my own reality and make sure I'm in check. And so, you know, this was a class that was specifically for real estate agents. And I said, hey, listen, here's the white paper. And none of this is like, none of this is a secret. Go on the assembly website, look at their housing priorities and look at it. Look at what's known as the real estate white paper. It says eliminate or reduce uh, lot size minimums. It goes in there as far as setbacks and restrictions. And it talks like if you go through and what I was talking about is specifically what's on that white paper. These are their priorities. If these things happen, here's what's going to happen. This is what this could well, it's, look it's, like. It's interesting. I've always, you know, for a long time, I've been doing my political report. So we really delve into like deep, you know, government reports and all these things. And I've gotten, I've learned so much about um, what's out there. And you have people sometimes, oftentimes talk about, like yesterday there was on the Picaro show, they were talking about pull tabs for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. And this guy called and said, it's all a big secret thing. And the, there's a gaming report. The Department of Revenue puts it every year 
listing all the information, what pull tab companies exist, how much money their overhead is, blah, blah, blah. So oftentimes people think it's all some secretive whatever, but it's all out there. Most, most the inf- well, there's so much out there, but most people don't know where it is or read it or understand it. So they think it's like some convoluted secret, right? Like in your case, you're talking about, you know, all this stuff's out there to, yeah, go, to go look at. It's all on the housing report and the list of the mm-hmm. housing. It's also on the community and economic development committee website where we do our meetings and we discuss these things. You know, when they're in the middle of rewriting the, um, so, so when you look at Title 21, if we're just talking about what we're trying to fix, I don't think a lot of people realize how bad Title 21 is. I want, you can probably count on one hand the number of, uh, of multifamily properties that have been built since like 2009 in this town. And I'm probably slightly exaggerating, but it is, it is minimal. And let me give you an example, okay? Single family and duplex under Title 21 are treated as, and that's one zoning, are just, there's an expedited process for those for getting constructed. The minute you go three plus units, a triplex, it triggers what's known as a C stamp or it goes into a different design criteria manual and it's treated like a commercial property and all this other bureaucracy goes on top of it. And that applies all through the code, all through the code. And so, I mean, through all zoning districts, it's a lot to pull back. So there, so when we say, and you see stuff like increased density, it's not increasing beyond what is currently allowed. It's in, it's allowing to be built what was specified in the 2040 land use code. Well, I mean, I, I don't know, like, the, I live in River Park, which is kind of off so, Sylvan and, you know, um, Dowling, back Old Seward. Yeah. So we have 116 units. They're, they're two, two, three, four built, unit buildings built between 2000, 2007. It's a great situation back there. You know, it's okay. pretty affordable. They, I don't think, I don't know if you could build those today. No, you could not. You could not. I just had a meeting with Sean Debenham yesterday. We looked at some other projects, trying to get some stuff established, and he looked me straight in the face. He goes, there's absolutely no way any large condo complex is going to get built again unless they either give the land away or the municipality comes out and does a huge tax abatement for like 24 years. And that's why I was able to buy my condo yep. back in, you know, so I, that, that's like let, a great let, thing for me. Let me give you an example. There is a lot over off Diamond, and a, a constituent brought to me, and he said, hey, listen, I own this property over near, uh, uh, near uh, Diamond High School. And I own this lot in the back of a cul-de-sac. You can build six units on it. I could put a sixplex. But because I'm over two units, they triggered off-site improvements, which means I need to bring the road that leads to my sixplex up to current road standard. I need to, I need to widen it and do a type two rule and kind of go under current Title 21. I have to do $1 million worth of off-site improvements, mm-hmm. improving the road in front of 10 houses just so that I could build a triplex or six for, for, for the people that want to keep called the status quo, what do you think the motive? I mean, I, to me, the motivation is like, it's like the, I got mine crowd. I got mine. I have my What's house. It? I have my, we don't want to change anything. We don't want to make things more people. We don't want to have more housing. We just want to keep it the way it is maybe affect the values. Is that what really the people that are opposing? Is that what's well, going there's on? arguments and some of those are legitimate. No one, you know, in, in my neighborhood, no one wants to see a dilap, no one wants to see a, an unsightly property. I, I guess my thought on that is I understand. And so we can, we can address a lot of that through building standards in Charlottesville, North Carolina, what they came out, they come of large home zoning. And that is in all your R1 and R2 areas that are designated on their Latin plan. If under a conditional use permit means that you need us, you, you would have to go in and like, you know, get, get approval or, you know, go through your community councils, but under a conditional use, you can build something larger than us up. You can build up to a sixplex, but it has to look like a large single family house. So, you know, should we have that conversation that in areas that currently don't allow for triplexes, because think about it under title 21, 
if I have a if I have a large lot, I can build a twelve thousand square foot duplex, right? I could go in in many different zonings under different and different mm-hmm. size requirement. I can build a twelve thousand square foot duplex with two eight bedroom units with three car garages, something ridiculous. You know what you can't build? Triplex. A, a three thousand square foot triplex with three one bedroom units because they will. You got to do a drainage study. You got to do all these site studies, which is what we need. Study. Because I mean, right now we talk about so, the the rentals and even I mean, yeah, in, this weird situation now with interest rates are up to seven percent. Yeah, and and housing prices this is nationwide as well. But but housing prices aren't going down; they're they're staying the same or going up because there's a shortage. We haven't done as much building. Yeah. So the conversation I want to have, and again, I, I, maybe I'm not right. That's why I want to make sure that we bring it out to the public. That's why my intention under 66 is once it passes, you know, we rebuild I'm looking at the land use code. It's typically, there's really five categories of land. There's single family and duplex. There's small single family. There's larger uh, high density multifamily. There's mixed use. And then there's what they call alpine slopes, which is all your alpine. And that's, they're all chopped up. There's 15. So Hey, listen, if we go back to land use plan and we look at these five, is there any way to consolidate and, and, and merge them? Can we mix R7 with R8 because they're both alpine slopes? Can we mix, you know, R2M and R4? Or how about, R, how about R3 and R4 because they're really close, but one's more of a midtown? There's only one R4A lot and one R3A lot in all of Anchorage. Is there a reason they, that these two big parcels of land in Anchorage have totally separate zoning than anything else? How do we merge some of these and consolidate them so that it's, and then take the off use, which is in, improving street and uh, road and gutters leading to the property, requiring them to add fire hydrants. Because AWW and our utilities currently require the developers to pay the entire cost of, of mm-hmm. bringing it up and just to raise taxes on you for something the developer paid for. Like, listen, they're going to, not only are they going to make money on what they're charging you because they're bringing you water and sewer, but they're going to have the developer pay it, then raise the property taxes for something they didn't contribute towards. What do you think is going on in the Matsu Valley to make, you know, things easier and cheaper? I mean, obviously there's more land, well, but, but, but is it the zoning? Is it, I mean, why are they building so much out there? One is the simplified zoning. One is the cost of land. And three is that they don't have the rig- They don't have a BSA. They don't have a building safety administration. They use independent uh, inspectors. So if you want to build something, you would have an independent third-party structural engineer come in. He would give you a report. You would have it all done outside. And then you just go down and say, here's my plans. Here's what I've got. They review it real quick. They stamp it. So like, what the other side will say is, oh, this is like, creates a situation with, you know, I'm not saying this is true, but they say, you know, there's like shoddy or bad building and there's no inspection or not adequate inspection and oh, the, the earthquake or something. Or so, Is that true? I mean, is that fair to criticism? Or? Well, they're good and bad. I mean, I, I, I guess I don't know because, I mean, you can say that, but my experience with Wasilla Construction has overwhelmingly been positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've yeah, no, me too. My, my friends, I have a lot of friends who live out there. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but also you don't think that happens in Anchorage? You don't think there's an older, I mean, with Anchorage, it's a little harder because it's, you don't have a BSA, but I mean, you know, not everything's covered under the BSA. There's areas in Hillside and not only that, but how many people add on to their house or do an alteration or, Hey, listen, I'm going to mm-hmm. cut out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to add on, I'm going to dig out my crawl space and turn it into a recreational a greenhouse or whatever it is. I mean, there's, it's not to say that it's not to say that uh, shoddy construction doesn't exist, so, but there's a balance. Okay. So listen, if, if Wasilla is too free, Right, and they've got and they've got too many liberties, and therefore they're they're in danger of uh, their whole society collapsing or not providing adequate housing. Then what is a reasonable? Because what we see is Anchorage is too far the other direction. That pendulum is too far the other. So how do we bring it back? 
And our ordinance 66 basically just addressed the people like we took 10 years to do title 21. Well, that was not just residential. That was commercial. That was business. That was everything. We're, we're just looking at the residential and then saying in 18 months, can we consolidate those? And if not, then throw it out the window. I guess we, you know, that's why I want to simultaneously do omnibuses. Well, there's also, there's also the building like inspect. Like I have friends that are builders and you know, some of them have been builders for a long time. So they kind of know the people and they feel like it's a little easier when they go in there, but, it, but they said it shouldn't be like, who you know, right? They have people that they go in there that maybe are new builders or they don't have as much. And it's like this, sometimes they might get given the rigmarole of like, you have to do like these five things and it could take six months. And I, mean, I hear stories like that too on the- Well, you know, it's not even so much who you know, it's that it's such a complicated process. You got to know what to file when and what form to look for and who to turn mm-hmm. it into. So it is unintentionally con- cumbersome to where the small builder who's, you know, has to take off from his job, you know, and sit down at permitting for three hours- you know, for someone to, to, to for someone to talk to him about his project, like okay, well, you know, well, that, 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 money. that's why Ron, I think it's Ron Thompson, right? Scope is so successful, and I, I criticized him because he like created the whole system, and then he kind of went in the private sector, but then he came back, which I thought was a little bit. But he is an expert, so people well, hire Ron, him to go in there and help him with the permit. Ron Thompson ran into the same problem I do on the assembly. Ron Thompson helped so many builders and helped so many people navigate the permitting process that when he got down there, they kept saying. Well, that's an old friend of yours. You helped him in the private sector. That's a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. And they kept filing complaints against him because they're like, well, that's a buddy of yours from someone you used to work for. You shouldn't be helping them do this. Mm-hmm. And basically said, you guys are, you're hamstringing me. Like the reason I came in here is because I have institutional knowledge. Now you're telling me I can't help because I have institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so then you end up leaving good, you end up abandoning good people. My issue with Ron was nothing wrong with going from the public sector, like his job into the private sector, but then he kind of came back, but then his daughter was still running the company. So I, you know, I, I just oh, yeah. thought there might've yeah. been some like impropriety there, but, but in any case, he's a guy that knows how to get it done. So people would hire him and he would get it done. I mean, everybody I talked to was like, Ron's been great. We got, I we like got things, we got things, you know, done. Ron's one of the gentlemen that I'm working closely with that if, uh, you know, if 66 doesn't go through and I know it's very controversial. So I think there's a pretty reasonable chance it'll, it needs seven votes. Time. Right. So, I mean, you probably got three at least most likely with your three well, sponsors. I mean, so again, you know me, if I can't, like carve change, out, if but I can't drive out Eagle river and Girdwood, I'll be really thinking about my, my vote because I think those are important. What, what if people like, you know, Felix and Chris constant and other, you know, oh, Randy Chris, salt. Chris, they- I don't think Chris is for it. I don't think Randy is for it. So, I mean, you know, but I, Listen, I'm I'm not opposed to working on something. Yeah, you, might you, be even, you guys need a whip. You got to whip votes, you know. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a real struggle to pass, but um and and of course even even I I I never say I'm going to vote for something until it comes time to vote because I mean, if the, I learn the, something new at the last minute then I'm okay with the, changing the, direction. The biggest frustration I have and it almost goes back to the same thing with the homelessness. We all recognize there's a fucking problem. Yeah. Homeless problem, there's a housing problem. Like if you ask anybody in this town is there a housing problem? Uh, nine, out, nine out of 10 are going to say yes. But we don't do anything to, f- we just kind of hope it's going to, we just like do the same thing and hope it's going to, it's a definition of insanity. You know, hope it's going to improve or change. It's not changing. It's not improving. But we all recognize there's a big problem. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know where I heard it from before, but it's, we all want change, but we don't want anything different. So, or we all want things different. We just don't want change. It's like Congress, you know, Congress approval rating is like in the teens. Yeah. But people like their guy. Yeah, we all know we all want we all want uh, term limits, but not my guy. Yeah, <laughs> so I get it. Um, 
You know, it's just, I listen, you know, if I'm just, I was just a guy that was out there. I love this town. I think I, I, I have a unique perspective in that I believe that we all have a, an opportunity in life to widely bless others. And that, that there's no such thing as just, you know, that, that if someone else is successful, that does that means that you can do it. That's a model for what you can do. And I've always been inspired to help people. And so it's kind of interesting because not being part of this political machine where you get in there and it's in, in, and there, there is a lot of protectionism and I don't, you know, that's something, uh, you know, I'm not used to dealing with. Um, but I'm, I do want to make sure people know that they're, well, it's, they're being heard and I care about what they care about. It's a unique makeup, the, um, the sponsors, because you're the conservative. Meg's obviously very kind of liberal, liberal progressive. I'd say Dan's a little more to the left a little bit, but you, know, you, you guys have kind of the whole spectrum well, covered you know, there on the. They call that the horseshoe, I think it is. But I always said that if you, if we walk, if, if I went right and Meg went left and we were walking different areas in the world, at some point we would meet up on the other side. And I think when it comes to, you know, I ran on private property rights, you know, I mean, and that's where I'm so conservative. Maybe I'm a little libertarian, but I'm like, Hey, listen, I pay the taxes. I pay the mortgage. This is what I have. And I think that's, that I should have more freedoms about what I have on my property. And uh, if I want to have someone move in with me, I should have the right to have someone move in with me. And, and, Yet I also understand zoning, but Title 21 is, is, is grossly infringing. It tells you how much grass you can have in your yard on certain kinds mm-hmm. of development and how much open space. and all. I mean, I think if anybody looked at how thick it is and how big of a book is, and I said, does this look like the land plan for a conservative town? you would just sit there and scratch your head and go, well, no. Speaking of the left and right, I had a, a lobbyist friend a long time ago tell me something that I've always like remembered. If you get a string, right, get a long piece of string and stretch it out left and right to your hands, stretch your hands out and grab the left side and the right side, and then you bring those two together, the the, the, the extremes meet. Yeah. Well, you know, that, yeah. So it's it's better well, to be, I think most people are in the middle. And so I also have a different, and, I, and, a, and it's interesting, I didn't think I'd get flack for this, but I do. And that is that I have a different way of approaching even negotiations. And that comes from real estate in that I just look for what's important to people. What is important to you? And how do I help you get what's important to you? And here's what's important to me. And how do we work together on that? I don't insult. I don't yell. I don't scream. I respect your right to have a widely opposing opinion to mine. I'm not going to take it personally. Tell me why that's important. And Here's what's important to me and how do we help each other? I'm just going to respect you as a human being. And I've got flack for liking Meg or liking Chris. And it's just that we don't have to. Well, the whole Meg. thing's gotten so, it's you know, adversarial crazy, and, and toxic that if it's like a, it's a sport, you know, it's like us versus them and you know, to, I, to a lot of the partisan observers. And, you know, if it's like the, you know, the Suzanne Downing people, like if you're not with them hundred percent, then, well, then you're against them. Well, and so, and that's, that's probably more of a problem with uh, conservatives that I've noticed, even though I love my party and I love mm-hmm. people is that you, if, if there's one thing you disagree, then, you know, we have a bad tendency of throwing the baby out with a bath. I mean, the, the Republicans and the conservatives are really infamous for kind of going after their own yeah. political, like when they, when they run for, you know, office, legislate, whatever they'll, they'll, you know, they'll primary each other. The, liber- the liberals have a problem too with this kind of woke nonsense. I mean, you know, if, if, well, if you cross should, if you cross them on some well, that's good, tri- good point words or some you say something, I mean, they, they they go after their own too. But not, it's funny they don't do it that much. Like, pol- pol- you know, when it comes to like challenging their people politically, yeah. it's more of like they call their people out and they shame the people uh, if they do something or say something that's not like in the mainstream of kind of like the the kind of woke conventional wisdom. So they they well, are, I mean I, they have their issues too, and I've I've been 
you know, I've been I've dealt with that for a long time. But I mean, both sides have their issues. What I would rather see if someone disagrees with something, they just call me and say, "Here's here's the issue I have," so I can understand why that's important, and then we can have reasonable dialogue. I love that. I'm I, I love sitting and meeting with people. I mean, I have so many friends that are very conservative, very liberal. I mean, I have so many people like that that I can talk to. Yeah, you know, we can have conversation. We well, disagree on. We have a wide variety of issues. Sometimes we agree on something, we disagree, but we can we can talk, you know. But then you get into these very partisan people who they see everything as like black and white, you know, red or blue. That's all they see. And if 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 for any second they see you're not part of that, you know, with them on this thing, then all of a sudden you're the enemy. And this is left left has that too, but um, most people aren't like that. But but the loud voices are like that, and that's what people hear. And so, you know, this is why the conversation that we're having right now is why it's so important. And this is what it should be based on, right? It should be based on a mutual understanding of sitting down and having meaningful conversations and not just flying over and reporting on something and not returning someone's that's, phone call. That's landmine radio, baby. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate That's it. what we do here. You know, um, and that's how, you know, through that interrogation of reality and through that process of challenging your own preconceived notions is how you end up with a better understanding and honestly better legislation. So I have a solution for all of this. And I think I asked you this when we did our debate. That was over a year and a half ago. So I'm not exactly, I kind of forgot your position, but I have a solution for all of this. I want to hear it. Build the fucking bridge over to Kinnick Arm, right? Yeah. Okay. That opens up vast swaths of land for housing. They've estimates show 30 or 40,000 people would leave Anchorage, go over there. That would open up housing here for rental or for sale. Obviously we know in the Valley they can build, right? Boom. And, so, and, and now they've actually resurrected. There's been some talk that the governor, they're resurrecting this thing. Um, there was a report that came out a year ago. Um, it was a big hundred, multi-hundred page report about, you know, about the, the bridge and, 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 you know, what it would cost and kind of re- revisiting it a decade later. What do you think about that? I mean, that, wouldn't that solve listen, a lot of these problems? I, not only would I love to see that uh, question, how do we pay for it? But they're doing a giant port expansion. Can it work in somehow? But and, mm-hmm. and that other McKinsey, uh, the port on the McKinsey they're side. They're talking about doing stuff over there. Yeah. And they're energy. talking about maybe doing another airport over there. Uh, which is, boom, that's exactly you know? where I was going. I would love to see that become the cargo hub. And if we can get, and so Anchorage becomes, you know, the pickup and drop off for all your tourist industry and your passenger flights, but all the major cargo run out of Point McKenzie. Why not? Yeah. So they can build giant warehouses, giant. And if you did something like that, that's how you're most likely to get like an Amazon up here. Right? I, mean, I mean, why don't we do anything in this state? We don't do anything. Well, we, I mean, the same, I, I live true. over, we I, do lots of studies. Oh yeah. We study. Sure. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what, that, that, that's why, you know, when Bill Walker ran in 2010, I love the one thing I'll never forget. Bill Walker said back in 2010, he goes, we used to build things, now we study things. Oh, my gosh, we study them. So there's an arterial road, uh, artillery road intersection in Chugaki. It's the first exit, like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the south exit, Regal River, um, just north of Highland. Um, and we've known that intersection has been a nightmare, and they've done multiple studies, and they just got, like, another, I think, $4 million to update the latest study. And I'm just like, you got, like, we have all this information. I mean, I mean, they, they just announced, they just announced that, the, which is a great thing, DOT is going to take over, 15 miles of the Susitna access, which is great. It's going to open up land and it's going to, you know, provide more access. But I just, you know, I was looking at it in the step. They aren't going to start till 2025. So, you know, the hell is that? I mean, three years, two years. And so, you know, this is part of where we go into the zoning issue. We know what's wrong with zoning. We know it's complicated. Go to the CDC, look at the handouts and the white pages. We've identified them. Even in the 2040 land use plan, it has this action items in the back that address a lot of this. And yet, even though we have these items that we could simplify the zoning, which is what's being done across the country, and even though we have these action steps, 
some people's actions, you know what we need to do is we don't need to actually follow the prescribed recommendations. We should do another, we should do a 2050 landing. Let's, let's study our last studies that we haven't. This is a thing. This is Girdwood, you know, this Holton Hills and and they're they're all against it for all these different reasons. And they lied to the community councils, but now they want to do another, another uh, Girdwood, um, what is it called? They're, they have a, like a 2030 or 20, whatever they yeah. have. They have like a land use. Now they want to do a new one. Well, Girdwood, I, par, I agree with that to some extent because they have seen radical change. And what that is, is they've had so much of their property go to non-owner occupied or dark houses. And so the, the problems with Anchorage are so vastly different than Girdwood as you sit in those housing sessions. I don't necessarily agree with what happened to Holton Hills. I think it's important to inspire housing because I think if you, even if you built new housing, and some of them did become Airbnbs. That would put downward it's, pressure it's, it's on just, existing lower-end Airbnbs that might become long-term rentals. And so, I mean... It's just most of the people in the Holton Hill situation that are against that, that say they want housing, what they also say is we, we have to do a plan. We have to do a new well, plan. And they want to spend 10, you know, they want to do a new 20-year, which but, takes probably, I would imagine, years to even... So you just delay anything happening while you do the plan. Well, and so, and, and, and do you see any similarities with that and what we're trying to do with zoning and anchorage? Very, that, yeah, it's very, it's, it's and so, listen, very similar. And I understand people's fears, but if fear of the unknown stops you from changing your current situation, that's that, you know, is like highly problematic, then nothing gets done. I mean, it just like, I live over on off Dowling, right. In old Seward. And last year they did the whole roundabout. They, you know, you couldn't even use it. It was all closed off. Okay, great. You know, expand it. Fine. Now they're doing more work. And I, I think it's part of the same thing, but it just, to me, it seems like, why are we doing all this work on fucking Dowell? Like, why don't we build new roads or why don't we expand roads or why don't we, and it just seems well, like we work on the same shit and it's the same every year, the same stuff's happening and it's really not changing much. It's maybe improving things on the margin. Here, here's, here's, here's another perfect absurdity that is title 21. Again, remember I talked about offsite improvements where if you build something larger than a triplex, they make you upgrade the road. I had a client who uh, was building a fourplex over near Lake Otis year, uh, several years ago, maybe about five years ago, and AWWU made him first, listen to this, first he had to upgrade the road in front of the fourplex and upgrade the water main that crossed in front of three properties before it got to his. So he did it. He invested the extra $100,000 in the road and the water main improvements. About a week before closing, they came in and said, hey, or before he got his conditional use, uh, excuse me, his uh, CO, they told them, you know what, we miscalculated and the area in front of yours, instead of six inch, we want an eight inch pipe. It's going to cost you $80,000 on top of what you already did to tear it out and go to the next size larger because now we're not going to let you get your, your CO unless you upgrade. Oh, shit. So then it's 180. So he had to come out of pocket at closing. Get this. Three years later, guess what they did? They came in and that road was slated for an improvement. So all the improvements he just did, they went they, in and tore it all up. They, they did it, yeah. And did oh, another yeah. improvement. I, I, I've property. heard of I've heard of this stuff where people do this like, work and then a year, a couple of years later, they come in and then they tear the whole thing up. Like if you knew you were going to go in there and do an upgrade, why did and, you and, require and, and, this and private property? And who order? ultimately pays these costs? Not the guy, the buyers, the tenants, the, tenants, the so renters, the, the buyers, the tenants, because yeah. it's going to go into higher rents because it costs mm-hmm. more. So. You know, listen, we're trying to solve these issues, and I understand that people don't, like, I don't want a big 30-plex going in next to my house, but we have established density in our land use plan, and that's not going to change. This doesn't change that. We have, but if if a, a R2M lot is supposed to be eight units for an acre or 12 units for an acre, can we help somebody build that eight or 12 units on that acre rather than just go, 
I'm only building two units on an acre because otherwise the red tape is so bad. I don't want anything to do with it. And when we mm-hmm. say increased density, it isn't increased density beyond what's already been prescribed. It's just, I think probably maybe the wording is build to an appropriate density. Because too many times across Anchorage, lots that were specifically designated to be higher density, that is eight, 10 units or whatever, they're only building one or two properties on them or one, like a building. To well, I mean, going back to what we to talked avoid the red tape, going back to what we talked about. I mean, there, there's no question by, from anybody that we have a problem, whether it's renting or buying, you know, I mean, how many houses, if you feel like a month or two ago, there was like, it was a like hundred units for sale or something like in the whole city. Yeah. It's, it's freakishly low. Like, um, like in, and then the vacancy is extremely low. So if you oh, want to move here for a job, unless you have a ton of money, you know, good luck. So, um, you know, the, uh, I want to say HUD came out with a report, I mean, maybe it's not, but basically 80% of mortgages are at under 5%. Mine's three and a quarter. So I got, I got lucky. why would you sell your house? You could actually, here's what can happen. You could sell your house and you could downsize to a smaller property and have a higher mortgage. And pay more, yeah. Why? No, I mean, I've actually thought, so I bought mine. I got a pretty good deal on it. I've been paying on it for 10 years. I have yeah. a pretty decent amount of equity in there. I thought about, you know, because right now they're, they're, they're selling for, it probably was always selling for about 190, 200. Yeah. Now they're going for about 240. So I was thinking, well, I could have a huge down payment, but then I'm thinking, wait a minute, 7%, 6%. I mean, Jeff, holy shit. Jeff, this is what, Cause, most, cause I, this is what most homers don't realize. And this is funny. I mean, when you think about it, this is kind of funny, right? So if you figured out what your house was, is worth in today's market and then figure out what the down payment is going to be, and then, you know, and then figure out what your mortgage payment is going to be at seven and a half. I bet you most people could not afford the house they could. Oh, I don't, th- I don't think so. Because okay. I, now, I, I got no, mine for. Now, now follow this. Now follow this math. But I live in my house. I've been there for a while. Now, a guy who can afford that mortgage payment moves in down the, down the street. And he's got a boat. He's got a helicopter. He's got all kinds of stuff. He moves in the neighborhood because he can afford this big luxurious payment. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. So like, you suddenly become the person that shouldn't be there. I mean, this, how do you afford? This, I mean, this, this is kind of this is kind of like uh, the the issue that goes back a long time. You know, these kind of the, the, the older generation, the boomers or whatever. These kids, it's hard to buy a house now. And I saw this funny meme, and it was like, you know, my parents bought their house for a hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty five, and in today's dollars, that's three hundred thousand. They just sold it for like one point five million, but it's like, yes. I can't afford it because I eat avocado toast. <laughs> you know, obviously there's like some humor there, but it's true. Like my parents bought their place in 1985 in New Mexico for I think $59,000. Yeah. Which I'd have to look at the current, you know, what that inflation calculation would be, but it's worth a lot more than what the inflation number is. So, and so the other part of Ch- Title 21 that we're struggling with is that we have um, in many areas, we have these very large lot size requirements. And I'm not saying that's bad for all areas, particularly if you have well and septic, it's important to have large lots because you need to make sure there's room for a leach field, mm-hmm. a replacement leach field if your septic fails, as well as keeping distance away from the well. And so that's important. Um, but an interesting uh, di- uh, 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 population change has shifted. And so about 10 years ago or more, when Title 21 was first being crafted, you need to understand that it was a, about a 3.5, 3.6 people per household. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now it's about 2.5. So I want you to do the math. It's such I, a big reduction. Listen, it's not, here's what I want you to imagine. Is that 3.5 people per house, that means if we just, 3.5 plus 3.5 is seven. If I have two houses, one house has three people in it, 
two parents and a kid. And one house has four parents, uh, four people in it, two parents, two kids. At 2.5, that now means that our average house has one just has two people and the other has two people and one kid. Mm-hmm. That is significantly different house size that's needed because those individuals that is just a couple or a single person or maybe just a married couple with one kid, okay, if do you really think if we keep building four and five bedroom houses, that's going to fill the need? No. So, yeah. Okay. But okay. So then how about, and this is just a conversation. I'm not saying there's a right answer. Instead of building a five bedroom house, you build a duplex that looks like a five bedroom house that you have two, two bedroom units or a three bedroom and a two bedroom unit. And you, that's a way of increasing you know, as they would say, density that everybody gets their they gets their hair in fire. I mean, you know, but, d- d- but d- now I'm providing I'm providing housing for technically less people, but two separate families, and it still meets the the contours and visual aesthetics of your neighborhood. I mean, you know, dare I say, why don't we let the market handle this? If the yeah, market was really, you know, then people would build these things that based on the market demand and market need. But well, you have to like get you're, out you're the talking about, the there's all out. these laws and all these regulations and all these zoning things that make that difficult. So, I mean, you have a, basically the government is creating a situation that's interfering with the market working And, and, and for all the, all the conservatives within sound of this voice, if you do not allow opportunities for the private market to build affordable housing, who will? Government. And there's only one agency out there right now that's building affordable housing in Anchorage. There's a couple. Rural Cap, which is a form of a nonprofit, and and Alaska Housing. They work primarily with subsidies or Alaska Housing and grants from taxpayers, and they get taxpayer and they get tax reductions. That is not private development. Mm -hmm. There's only one way. Like, if you're afraid of big government and government intrusion, and you're afraid of your property taxes going up, then get government out of the way so that private development can happen because they pay taxes, they provide jobs, and they're not relying on you to donate to them to do it. And so, and and we can do that on land that is already designated for that kind of density and usage if we get out of our own way. And we can do it without without disturbing our rural areas, without disturbing our suburban areas, and by just taking a different way of the way we're looking at our zoning. So I was just looking at something here when you, you made an interesting point about my, so I got my place, I got a really good deal on it. It was a kind of a HUD foreclosure. It just happened to be a great deal. I got it for like about 150 back in 2012. It's actually probably worth about, it was probably worth about one seven, you know, I got a, a deal on it, Yeah. but, but three and a quarter, that's when the rates were pretty low. And you know, my mortgage is like, I'm in a pretty good spot. I get like a thousand dollar mortgage. That's so nice. So now I'm just looking at this right now. Now what it's worth about 240. That's probably what it's worth. I'm looking at my, I have a good credit score, 7, 7%, 30 year fixed, 1620. It's almost going to double. Plus my con, you know, and I have the condo dues, which is our, would be the same, but man. Yeah, plus your condo. That's like, that's, I mean, for plus six. Plus your condo dues, which is going to put you up to $2,200 a month. Three, three, 300. They were two, we just had to raise them. We had to raise, that's the other thing. We, I've been on the board for a long time. We've been 250 for, for a long time. We had to raise to 300 because our insurance costs have shot up. I mean, our total insured no. value of our, listen to this. For the last eight years, it went from forty-two million total insured value for all the you know all the units buildings. It took eight years to go from forty-two million to fifty million, eight eight million dollar increase. Last year, it went from fifty million to fifty-eight million, because they say the replacement costs and, all, and yeah. they're probably right. So our our normally our insurance goes up five or six seven thousand a year about that you know 
premium. Yeah. $28,000 increase. Yeah. The, our, 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 our maintenance costs have gone up. So we're having to raise dues, 50 bucks a year. We're probably going to have to raise dues again this year because, I mean, we're just, we're not spending, we're not doing more. We're just, everything, the costs are all going yeah, up. Yeah, the Chuyak Senior Center just got hit with that. They, you know, they bid out and they say we're going to do it for this much per year. And they just found out that their insurance is going up $40,000 a year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's. And so what ends up happening is what, where does that go? Well, they might have to adjust rates or who knows what that looks like. But, I mean, I, you feel sorry for the seniors. I mean, they're mm-hmm. getting hit with it. And, of course, they're feeling that means they're going to have to either reduce services or reduce transportation for the seniors. And so, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's heartbreaking. So, I mean, this is just crazy. Think about to, to buy my place now. I mean, like, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a lot different, you know? Well, again, so there's only two things. I mean, I guess you know, there's only a couple let, let, ways. Let me say one more thing. And, and I do want to buy. I have a two-bedroom. I do want to buy. For a long time, I do want to buy a bigger place. I would like to buy a three or four bedroom, you know, but it's so but you fucking expensive now. You don't want to have to find four roommates. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it wouldn't matter in one or something, you know, but I, I would like to have a space where I have more room and, you know, just more bigger garage. If I'm, my family, my friends want to come stay, I want to have that, you know, extra space. But, and so geez, it's really expensive now. Here's also why these smaller multifamilies, which is duplex through tri- fourplex, is such is why the assembly is so focused on when you say, you know, I would say building to density or increasing density, this is such a sweet spot, is that, you know, a lot of people don't understand that it's easier to buy a duplex, triplex, or fourplex than it is to buy a single family house. And that is because you can use the rental income to qualify. Mm-hmm. And so not only that, when you live in there, the rental income then makes your cost of living go down. And so for individuals that are struggling and they're looking for a house and they want to have home ownership and they want to experience that independence or that freedom that, you know, was, is defined in the Constitution of the United States, the way, if you can't afford a single family house, well, then a duplex or triplex allows you to get home ownership. It allows people to start paying property taxes. Plus it applies one or two working class rental units to people who need housing. And so... I mean, it really, that's, that's why those small multifamilies are so nice because they only, most of those are purchased by people who have FHA or VA loans, you know, that can own or occupy a property and live in it. And it still creates a sense of community. And so that's why a lot of our emphasis is on that. You know, the, our emphasis on the, on, although it'd be nice to see a larger complex go in, the quickest and fastest way is just to do infill with the smaller residential properties. And that's what this, in, that's what our AO 66 is trying to do. It looks big and scary, and I, I understand um, some of people have apprehension. But if you listen to the work sessions and you listen to the conversations we have, it's really on these duplex, triplex, fourplex, owner-occupied, smaller investment properties that fit within, and we can use design standards to make them look like houses. And I think that we can solve a huge ton mm-hmm. of, our, of our housing issues what, what, by focusing have, on that. Have, like, the, you know, Taylor and the Spinell people, have they commented on this stuff? Or oh, they... yeah, the, you know, uh, I'm, I mean, on the ordinance or just on the triplex, fourplex? I guess the, or, the ordinance, really. The re- well, they're re- interesting to see what happens. I mean, Andre pretty much is, oh, let me finish, let me know when you're done working on it. I'll let you know what I think. I'm too busy doing other stuff. So, but, I mean, he, he but if you go to the Anchorage Home Builders meetings, you go to stuff that he participates in, he will, he will often vent about how frustrating it is. But here's the thing. I want you to think about our home builders. You know, we only have a handful of large of home builders here left in Anchorage. You got Andre, you got Bill Taylor, you got uh, you know Holquist, you've got some other. You don't have any more smaller home builders. People are just building two or three a year because the develop only those with the deep enough pockets to go in and run and take two to three years to get through a planning department or sit there for three to four hours just to get a simple answer. You know, only those individuals with deep enough pockets are building. Where did all the smaller home builders, the guys that are doing one or two units or something? I feel, I feel like there's enough in the valley. 
oh, that's yeah. where that's where they went. And so, you know, we we you know, and so, listen, I you know, I, I understand people's concerns. I understand the fear, but I would just ask people to look at the current situation and see if you know if if when does it have to get bad enough before we're willing to acquiesce on on some of our preconceived notions on, you know, on Title 21. Well, it, it looks like it's going to come up again at the next meeting on August, and then yeah, but it's probably going to go for, I imagine it's going to probably go further than that. If I, if, yeah, if, you know, I have some, I have some things in it that I definitely want to see. Again, I separating Chuyak Eagle River, making sure that we're part of our own process, and that, and that's why I'm trying to set up a board with our Chuyak Board of uh, uh, Advisors out there, because I want to say, hey, let's, Let's come to this with a plan and say, hey, listen, you know what? We haven't, we haven't updated our land use plan since 2006, but we also recognize there's opportunities to maybe fix some of our zoning and let us have our own conversations about that and then come before the assembly with our recommendations as opposed to this, this process over here, which is, hey, listen, if the, if the assembly members of Anchorage feel as if that's best, I support, I support you in what you're trying to do. As long as you support me on what I want to make sure is prote- protected for my district, because we really are, you know, so what, what, separate, what, what, you know, separate but equal entity. When do you foresee this being voted on? Sometime in August. You know, I think if it votes on August eighty eighth, it's going to be it's eighth. Excuse eighty eighth. I said August twenty second. Uh, oh, okay. Is when it comes up next, it'll most likely be extended again. Um, to me, I would vote to, and I'd move to extend it if I don't feel as if I have adequate input from our board of supervisors and our and our community councils. And I'm, tr- but you know, they take summer off, and so I'm trying to get it back before them and do an emergency meeting, mm-hmm. because I mean, you know, that that's the problem with the summer. You know, we, we the assembly never stops, and I understand that our uh, our community councils quit meeting during the summer. Most of them, yeah, most of them quit for June, July, and August. You know, and um, and and I yeah enjoy, enjoy this. Uh, maybe maybe that's a good time to do do some stuff. You know, June, July, and August, yeah, you know, jam know, it through. It, but at the same time, you need public input so you can make sure you come out with good legislation. So I'm I'm I support you know kind of you know I know that it's important to get uh, you know zoning reform moving, um, but you know I also understand it's important to make sure that you have proper public input. So that people don't feel as if uh, they've been uh, ignored. Well, I'll be. I'm watching. You know, I've been watching the meetings, and I mean, obviously now you're you're public enemy number one for the conservatives. They've they've yeah. turned on you. Fuck them. Well, no, nah, I mean, listen. That's what I say. You know, uh, but maybe part of that's you know part of that could be my fault because I'm. I, listen, I'm not. I'm not a politician. I'm not used to this world. I'm a business owner. It goes out and does like, okay, here's what it is. Does this make sense? Well, what you're experiencing is you're you're trying to change something, and you're you know there's people that obviously don't want that, and there's interest, and they have you know, the ability to pressure or talk to the influence these people. And so now it's like, well, you know, they always go after Meg and Dan, you know, but it's like now they can go after one of their own and they can put different kind of pressure. That's what they, that's the mindset, well, you know, that's the I, I logic hope, they're going. I, I really want to make sure that the emphasis is on solving the problem. And, and I loved how yesterday you called into Picard after they played the tape and you basically said, hey, wait a minute, here's what this is. And I mean, he was kind of like dumbfounded, you know, he didn't know what to say because you actually a, called and, and, and challenged what they, what, what they were saying about you. You know, what, one thing I had to realize when I got into this position is that how much, and, you know, I understand, listen, they got a show to do, but at the same time, I would listen to what was going on in the radio and I was like, that's not at all what happened in the work session. That's not, well, wait a second, that's not the conversations that are taking place. And it's easy. I mean, when you're on the, you know, nothing to disparage Mike Picaro or Amy or any of these individuals that have these shows, but 
it's very important for the public to realize that their job is to get ratings. Oh yeah, Amy, Amy was the the smoking gun or whatever the yeah. Well, you know, and, <laughs> and so I don't listen. To her. I used to. Listen, I, 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 tw- I tweeted this like a few weeks ago. You know, Dan Fagan's kind of a lunatic, but I really enjoyed. I mean, I listened right. to. Her. I was like well, entertaining. I can't listen to her. I don't listen to it. Can't re- do it. I respect their opinions, but at the same time, if you're going to spend time listening to that, which I, you know, not to say you should or shouldn't, please take the time to go to the YouTube channel on the Anchorage Assembly and watch the work sessions as well, and also call your assembly person to find out what's taking place because very few people do that. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that, you know, there. I'm just saying educate yourself and take the time to be informed before you make any stern judgments regarding yeah, hundred, hundred, from anybody. 100%. From anybody. And yeah, that, 100%. Includes, that, that includes from me. Okay, well then... Uh, you know, if I tell you something, go out and check the work sessions. Like, just just stay curious. It's all I encourage encourage people to do. Hundred percent. Well, Kevin, I'm glad you came on here. I had a really really good discussion, and I'm really hoping they freaking pursue this bridge because I, I think this. I mean, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but this would be a big improvement for a lot of the problems we just discussed here. So, well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Maybe we'll maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll get this new. Bridge Authority, put me on there, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it would be nice. Uh, it would be interesting to see where we would get the funding. And um, there's a lot of federal money out there for that I kind just, of stuff. A know, ton. Here's my only concern was how badly the first port project went. Gosh, if they messed up that bad on a bridge. So. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so many. Bri- it's funny. I was just put on Twitter about this, and somebody said it's not feasible. And then there was a comment. It's like what they've said about every bridge ever. <laughs> you know, I, I was I was actually calling the Picard yesterday about this bridge thing, and. He made the point that, uh, you know, when they built the Golden Gate Bridge, it was, you know, it's a boondog, oh my gosh. And like, you know, it leads to now, to where? Marin County. Well, you're absolutely right as far as it exploding on affordable housing because the bridge over there would just create such a boom. And, oh my gosh. You know, and um, and then you would see, you know, grocery stores popping up over there. There'd be development. And the economic and, activity. And the land is right. expensive. And, and I'm really like, surprised it hasn't been done because my understanding was that there was a lot of very... Um, you know, uh, connected politicians that bought a bunch of land over there decades ago. People have bought, yeah, <laughs> speculation. And, and, you know, it was, a, I mean, the they, they got the permit. I mean, the, yeah. the Kabata got through the permit. I mean, they got the approval. Same with the Juno Access. That's another thing. But Juno Access, right, that should have been built. Yeah. And that, you I know, mean, that got canceled by, by Walker. So a lot, yeah, lot of things need to, a lot of things need to happen in this state, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to like actually move forward and grow and, and do, do stuff. And, and uh, you know, in closing on this, it's, it's interesting, but, you know, don't, as an assembly person, I try not to get too tied up in it because the truth is that, you know, the next group of assembly people that come in in you know, three, five, seven years can undo everything mm-hmm. they've done. They can decide completely otherwise. And so take a deep breath because most of the stuff that we're worried about, you know, I don't know if it ever comes to fruition. Yeah, so no, it's, it's, fear you're, is you're, like, you're right. Things do cha- change a lot. It does. Well, thanks a lot, Kevin Cross, for coming on. Appreciate it. And I uh, will be uh, seeing you in the, the headlines, I'm sure, in the next few months. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate that. Okay, Kevin Cross from uh, Eagle River, Chugiak, Anchorage Assembly. Thanks a lot for coming on. And folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Thank you. Landline.